Socialists, a podcast produced by Speak Out Now. We are a revolutionary socialist group. Our website is speakoutsocialists.org. You can find us on Facebook at Speak Out Now or on Instagram and Twitter at Rev Socialists. These are the reports from the week of June 10th. We are at a turning point, but which way will we turn? June 7th. For two weeks now, hundreds of thousands of people have been protesting the racist execution of George Floyd by a cop in Minneapolis. People have been out in the streets from morning until night in all 50 states, in over 700 U.S. towns and cities. The protests have spread in a show of solidarity in major cities all over the world. After months of crisis, people are right to be angry. Starting in February, we watched as a virus became a pandemic, as governments in the U.S. and most all over the world failed to act to protect their citizens. Instead, their major concern was to keep production running and their profits rolling in. The safety, health, and very lives of essential and frontline workers were sacrificed as they were forced to continue working without testing and adequate safety protocols and equipment. And this criminal negligence has cost many their lives. At least 600 healthcare workers have died in the U.S. already. As of June 7th, there have been over 7 million cases and over 400,000 deaths worldwide and over 2 million cases and over 112,000 dead in the U.S. And there is no end in sight. Finally, the governments had no choice but to tell people to stay at home to prevent an even wider spread of disease and death. This shelter at home meant an abrupt shutdown of the economy. Tens of millions have lost their jobs, and economists are saying that it is possible that 40% will not get their jobs back, even if the economy begins to recover. Many people have also lost their health insurance and their ability to pay their bills. Schools will shut down, leaving many students with no way to complete their education. The federal government passed several bailouts, that mainly gave billions to big business, but many ordinary workers and small businesses were left out. At best, some got a $1,200 check and began to get unemployment insurance, which was hard to access even if you qualified. Working class and poor African Americans suffered the most. Racism has kept so many in poverty and with little or no health care, so black people have a higher rate of pre-existing health conditions making them more vulnerable to COVID-19. Also, many black workers are in essential and frontline jobs, so they are more exposed than other sectors of the population. And many live in crowded quarters, so it was harder to social distance and keep the virus from spreading in their communities. Then, with the economic collapse, black people saw their already high unemployment numbers swell even higher. The only population that was hit as hard were Native Americans living on reservations. Then came the murder of George Floyd, in broad daylight, in front of witnesses, recorded on a video that went viral. All the pent-up anger, all the weeks of being stuck at home, 
All the worry about getting sick, all the economic hardship, all the anxiety about the future, combined with a history of systemic racism dating back to slavery, led to a response that exploded into the streets. Now, two weeks later, where are we? And where are we going? Many have connected the dots and see how these successive crises are linked together. And many people have concluded that it is those with money and political power today who bear the responsibility for what has been done to us. But how do we change all of this? What should we do? After a few days of silence, Democratic Party politicians have begun to try to put themselves at the head of the protests, to steer them into the usual channels. They are proposing commissions to study the problem and new laws to stop police violence. They say that the most important thing for the protesters is to vote and elect them to office in November. This is not new. We don't need more commissions or new laws to reform the police. The police have one main purpose, to defend the order and property of the 1% against us. And while it is certainly understandable why many people want Trump and the Republicans out, we can't fool ourselves into believing that our real problems will be solved by voting. Those who are elected will be responsible to maintain the same system, no matter what they may say during their election campaigns. What we do need to do is continue to be organized and use our vast power to defend ourselves. When the pandemic hit, it was healthcare workers, grocery workers, transit workers, and delivery workers who insisted on health and safety precautions for themselves and others. When George Floyd was killed, the politicians and police chiefs acted quickly to arrest and charge those four police officers because of the huge pressure by tens of thousands who went out in the streets. If we don't want to continue to pay for their crisis, we will have to fight against the evictions that are coming, against the budget cuts that are being planned, against the layoffs and wage cuts that are being threatened, as those in power will try to continue to put their profits before our lives. But it isn't enough to keep mobilizing to defend ourselves against their attacks. What we really need is to get rid of the capitalist system which benefits the 1% at the expense of the majority. Then we could create a new society which would guarantee a good life for the majority. So what will the future hold? That is up to us. India, Capitalism and the Coronavirus, Killing People, June 10th. In late March, India implemented one of the world's most severe lockdowns, shutting down much of the economy and transportation in the world's second most populous nation. Economic activity halted, hitting the working class hardest. Hundreds of millions barely above subsistence, many with no jobs, and suddenly stranded in big cities, with no way to their homes in rural areas. In cities like New Delhi and Mumbai, the wealthy quarantined in leisure, while the poor walked hundreds of miles to their homes or stayed in their cramped quarters, sometimes sleeping eight to a room. A group of steel workers laid off from their jobs were walking all night to their village along a railroad line and fell asleep from exhaustion, probably thinking the trains weren't running because of the lockdown. At least 16 were killed when a train came by. In May, the government began softening the lockdown. As workers went back to work, dozens were injured in major chemical and plastic plants. Meanwhile, 
State governments have actually loosened labor regulations in hopes of stimulating economic activity. As of June 8th, India had confirmed 256,000 total cases of COVID-19, giving it the fourth most cases in the world. But its curve is trending upward, and epidemiologists believe that millions more might be infected. India is a human catastrophe, as the virus has worsened, pre-existing cases in Indian society. But it wasn't the virus that caused these problems. It was capitalism. Millions of desperate migrants living like sardines, risking their lives to sustain their lives, tossed about by economic forces and a virus over which they have no control. California budget crisis. We should not pay for the crisis they created. As a result of the crippled economy and costs of responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, state and local governments across the country face massive budget crises. The state of California is an example of this, where the state now faces a $54.3 billion deficit. In response to the situation, deep spending cuts to areas like education, infrastructure, healthcare, and transit have been proposed by Governor Gavin Newsom for next year to balance the budget, including a proposal to impose a 10% wage cut on state employees. If the government and the bosses have their way and are able to impose these austerity measures in California and across the country, workers and their children will bear the brunt of these budget cuts, not the 1%. Among many things, this will mean even lower funding to public schools and universities, meaning even more teachers will be laid off and class sizes will increase. The education system in this country is already in a deep funding crisis. Since 2008, the number of K-12 students has increased over 1.4 million, while the number of teachers and school workers has decreased by 135,000. This is how the system of capitalism works. No matter what, we get screwed. We have to pay with our lives, our health, and our jobs as a result of the government's inaction in the face of COVID-19. And now we will be expected to live with austerity in the years to come, as education transit, and healthcare budgets are slashed. Even though California has more billionaires than almost every country on earth, taxing the ultra-rich and corporations is not even on the table for Democrats in state government as a way to fix the deficit. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, Newsom has also not proposed to reduce any state law enforcement spending, but wants to cut other things instead. We need to organize ourselves to demand a budget to meet our needs and ultimately organized to remove this profit-based system structured in the interests of the 1%. Trump claims U.S. unemployment drops. No surprise, it's a lie. On June 5th, Trump proclaimed unemployment was falling thanks to his effort to reopen the economy, regardless of health risks. But contrary to Trump, the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics... BLS, which estimates unemployment every month, reported that the figure Trump announced wasn't reliable. The BLS said that their statistical methods for estimating unemployment are not structured to take account for everyone laid off as a consequence of COVID. In fact, other methods for measuring current joblessness indicate that unemployment went up in May, probably by at least 3%, reaching 20%, a record not seen since the Great Depression of the 1930s. But of course, that didn't stop Trump, 
who will say and do anything he thinks will bolster his plummeting political prestige. Well before COVID, ordinary people knew from personal experience that government statistics have always understated unemployment, for example, by failing to count people as unemployed after they've given up looking for jobs paying a decent wage. As the current crisis turns into a deep long-term recession, it will be hard to convince anyone that jobs are coming back on their own. We don't need to spend time puzzling out what's wrong with the unemployment statistics. Instead, workers need to start discussing how to force the system to give us jobs or income now. Biden supports the right wing in Venezuela. Elections are coming. The Democrats say over and over, vote for Joe Biden because he will be a real alternative to Trump. However, just like Trump, Biden recently voiced his support for Juan Guaido, the right wing politician trying to take power in Venezuela. If this is Biden's agenda for Venezuela, we have to ask how much his presidency would really mean a difference. Venezuela has vast oil reserves, a source of cheap oil for U.S. companies. In 1999, Hugo Chavez nationalized these oil resources, taking them out of the hands of the private companies that had profited from the oil. The U.S. was never able to regain full control of the oil. Under Bush, the U.S. attempted to instigate a coup against Chavez. U.S. funds have poured into the pockets of the Venezuelan opposition. In 2014, Obama imposed sanctions on Venezuela, crushing the country's economy. During the Bush, Obama, and now Trump presidencies, U.S. policy has been the same, to take the oil back by force if necessary. Biden's support for the same agenda as Trump shows his true nature. Biden may seem like a gentler and kinder personality compared to Trump, but his administration would have the same goals securing control over the world's resources. U.S. ranks first in wealth, prisons, and weapons sales, 24th in environmental performance. While the United States may take the first place for having the most wealth, the highest prison population, and the greatest export of weapons, it ranks 24th for its environmental performance. According to a new analysis by Yale and Columbia Universities, the U.S. is at the back of the pack for industrialized nations. It scored poorly on protecting water resources and managing its waste. About half of the trash generated in the U.S. is unaccounted for. 20% of the population is not connected to public sewers. The U.S. ranks second only after China for its greenhouse gas emissions. And it's on course to get even worse. With the weakening of environmental protections, expanding fossil fuel development, and reduced funding for environmental protection agencies. A profit-driven system won't be able to address these worsening environmental conditions or create policies that meet the real needs of the planet. Only a system that prioritizes humanity and the earth can do that. And because pollution and climate change don't have borders, it will be up to the working people all over the world to fight for this global system so that we all have a planet to live on. One disaster after another, June 5th. In addition to the coronavirus pandemic and the deadly racism of our society that is being highlighted in the streets, June has brought another danger hurricane season. 
Federal scientists are expecting storms to be more frequent and powerful as climate change intensifies the threats posed by hurricanes. Every major forecasting organization is predicting above-average activity, but evacuations are going to be a lot more complicated this year. What do you do when evacuation orders conflict with shelter-in-place orders? Do you risk the storm or the possibility of contracting coronavirus in a cramped public shelter? Federal and state emergency organizations are not prepared for these complications. They weren't even prepared for a pandemic that scientists around the world had predicted would happen. And we all know who is at the greatest risk in these life-and-death situations— not the wealthy who can afford to escape to their vacation homes across the globe, but the working, poor, and communities of color who often bear the brunt of disaster in this society. 22-year-old man murdered by cops in Vallejo. In Vallejo, California, on June 2nd, police executed a 22-year-old man in cold blood. Sean Monterosa was stopped at the scene of an alleged looting at a Walgreens. Monterosa was kneeling with his hands in the air. He had a hammer tucked into his pocket, which police, quote, mistook for a firearm. But the young man was on his knees with his hands in the air. No matter what the circumstances, this can only be called one thing, murder. K-pop fans spam white supremacists. Racist, white supremacist organizations and individuals have taken to Twitter to promote their violent agenda. One of their favorite hashtags is hashtag white lives matter, perpetuating the racist myth that white people are the ones being victimized in America. However, around the world, fans of the Korean pop music known as K-pop have decided to shut down the white supremacists by making the hashtag white lives matter point to images of k-pop celebrities making fun of their perspective sometimes the best weapon against injustice is a good lol 2020 is on track to be the hottest year in human history this year we will surpass 418 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that's more CO2 blanketing the earth than any time in the last three million years. The economic shutdown has done next to nothing to address the climate crisis. There has been a slight drop, less than 8% in emissions, but this is temporary and minuscule. It does nothing about the greenhouse gases that are already in the atmosphere and are continuing to have a heating effect on the planet. The actions governments have taken to address COVID-19 are the same kind of policies they have taken toward climate disruption and climate refugees. Six months ago, Australia was burning with record-breaking wildfires across the continent. At the time of the fires, billions were allocated from the government and donated to help survivors, but many haven't seen a dime of that money. Today, there are still thousands of Australians who are submitting tedious applications for aid and waiting for the long-promised help from the government in order to start rebuilding their lives. Now, we're at the beginning of the hurricane season in the U.S., which is projected to be the worst yet in history. 
The dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico is likely to be one of the largest ever seen, with increased rains in the Midwest washing nitrogen-rich fertilizer from the Mississippi watershed into the Gulf, which depletes oxygen levels needed for sea life. Siberia is in the middle of a record-breaking heat wave, with temperatures 20 degrees higher than average, and will melt more permafrost and dump tons of additional carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. The ruling class of the world has no intention of investing the $54 trillion it will take to transform society within a few years to stop additional greenhouse gas emissions and to start to deal with the gases already in the atmosphere. They have refused to do the bare minimum to help survivors rebuild in rich countries like Australia, let alone colonies of the rich countries like Puerto Rico. We know that they won't take care of us. It's up to us to save our futures, and we only have a few years left. The social movements springing up around the world give us a glimpse of what's possible. The self-activity of millions is necessary to address climate disruption, and humanity is just getting started. Capitalism drives extinctions, but we can stop it. Climate disruption is just one of the ways human life is threatened due to massive environmental destruction. Our lives depend on robust ecosystems and diversity of animal and planet life. A recent study of land animals found more than 500 species are likely to become extinct within the next 20 years. This is directly because of the economic drives to pillage forests and plunder land for agriculture in the push for rapid profits. It isn't just the environment that is at risk due to land grabs and resource extraction. These are the same profiteering forces that brought humans in contact with the coronavirus, AIDS, and other serious life-threatening viruses. The capitalist economy is destroying nature at a rate hundreds of times higher than the previous 10 million years. We have a chance to stop this. There is still hope, as the director of science at the World Wildlife Fund said. We can start to bend the curve in biodiversity loss and climate change. He said it was a question of global ambition, but working and oppressed people around the world have that ambition already. We are already living with the effects of coronavirus and the loss of our environment that we depend upon and are part of. What we are lacking is the political power to make the changes that are clearly needed. We can put a stop to capitalism and the destruction of the environment, and put all our resources and efforts towards saving the countless species that are at risk of being lost forever, including human beings. We have only a few years to do this, but with millions of people collaborating for the protection of our lives and environment, anything is possible. The task at hand is to organize ourselves for that purpose. General Mattis' response, Trump is pushing the military too far. On June 3rd, former Defense Secretary James Mattis released a statement condemning Donald Trump's response to this week's protests against police brutality. In particular, Mattis condemned Trump's militaristic statements, which threatened to crush demonstrations by force using the heavily armed U.S. military. Trump's desire to use the military, as he has used the Justice Department and the Supreme Court, to reinforce his own personal power, was a step too far for Mattis. Mattis's words reflect the thoughts and feelings of many of those in the leadership of the military. 
In their minds, the military is not a tool to discipline the U.S. population. Trump may view the U.S. military and its troops as a tool to use as he wishes, but the reality is that the U.S. military, especially the Army, is made up of men and women, many of whom are in the military because of the economic draft. In the military, two-thirds of active-duty soldiers are from poor and working-class communities. They know that there are no jobs where they lived. 30% are from minority communities. They aren't there because they want to serve Trump. They know what's happening in their communities and across the country, and they are talking about it. Trump's call for them to be sent against people demonstrating against police murder and other injustices is something that each will be considering and discussing with those close to them. Mattis and others in the military understand this. Mattis and others who head the military have directed mass murders across the world, so killing is not a moral question. But one thing they do not want to see is a rebellion in their own ranks. And this is what could happen if they followed Trump's dream. It took the U.S. military decades to repair the damage it suffered during its war on Vietnam. They faced a mass revolt where troops refused to follow orders, where junior officers were fragged, killed by men in their units with a fragmentation grenade rolled into their tents while they were sleeping, where naval ships were prevented from sailing when some of the crew mutinied, and other acts of resistance. They don't want to see that happen again. Trump may find that he is unable to call on the military to defend his personal power. But if Trump or another elected official should call out the military against us, we need to understand that the soldiers are not our enemy. The system they are called on to defend is. If and when this happens, our response has to be, put down your weapons and join your brothers and sisters. It's time for working people to stand for ourselves and determine our own future. Tiananmen Square, China, 31 years after a massacre in the struggle for democracy. On June 4th, protesters in Hong Kong held their annual vigil for the victims of the Tiananmen Square massacre in Beijing 31 years ago. The vigil defied a police ban and comes in the wake of continued demonstrations against Chinese control of Hong Kong, which erupted last year. In 1989, the Chinese state sent soldiers and tanks into Tiananmen Square to suppress a demonstration of 100,000 people. Thousands were killed, and in the following months, many activists were imprisoned. At that time, the Chinese Communist Party was opening the country to investment from Western companies and encouraging new private Chinese companies to grow rich by exploiting the millions of poor Chinese workers and farmers. This party, claiming to be socialist, was taking another major step in the construction of the powerful capitalist economy we see in China today. With these changes underway, Chinese students held demonstrations demanding democracy and the right to form new political parties. These demonstrations attracted support from the underground workers' unions that had been banned by the government. Workers understood that the right to organize politically and in unions is a way forward for them to defend themselves and struggle for their interests. The Chinese state is just another variation on what we see around the world a powerful machine for a privileged elite to accumulate wealth and exert control. We remember Tiananmen 1989 
as an inspiring moment when young people and workers raise the question of democratic control over their own lives, a necessary basis for any socialist society worthy of the name. Solidarity is our strength. D.C. man shelters 70 protesters in his home. In Washington, D.C., on Monday, protesters were faced with pepper spray and the threat of arrests when a curfew in the district was declared. During the protest, Raoul Dubay, a local D.C. man, let 70 protesters take shelter overnight in his home. According to Dubay, I hope that my 13-year-old son grows up to be just as amazing as the protesters are, and I hope that they continue to fight, and I hope that they go out there today peacefully as they did yesterday, and not blink because our country needs them, needs you, and everybody more than ever right now. Online bots post half of all COVID-19 conspiracies and calls for opening the economy. Who supports Trump and the Republicans' call to reopen the economy? Some people might be fooled, but it turns out most of the tweets and posts on Twitter aren't from human beings at all. They are from bots, automated Twitter posting programs. At least half of all tweets calling for opening the economy and suggesting that COVID-19 is a hoax are posted by bots. This is one more episode of The Trump Show, constructed of lies, lies, and more lies. Speak Out Now is a revolutionary socialist organization. Our website is speakoutsocialists.org. You can find us on Facebook at Speak Out Now or on Instagram and Twitter at Rev Socialists. We want to thank Boots Riley and The Coup for letting us use their song Get Up featuring Dead Prez. Thanks for listening.